0: down the line, Dawson Simpson the big man, in for his first and he plays on to Corey I'll be deep again, a mark here will win the game, Podsie Adley couldn't quite at night win the mark for, win the game yet for Brisbane got himself into a difficult position, yo and now Black has been so instrumental about yo. to be hunted down, didn't panic, it was a great kick Pat full in the centre, we're down to 9 seconds, and and it's a mark, he's got to get up, cock had to give to anybody, it's Zorko, got a mark and he's got it, the Milestone Man, siren sounds, and it's going to come down to Ash McGrath, this is better than a fairy tale, you can't dream these scenarios, Ashley McGrath in his 200th game, a behind will create a draw. A goal will give the Lions an incredible victory. Ash McGrath comes in, it's on its way, it's there! The miracle of grass! The Brisbane Lions have kicked eight goals in the last quarter, and at the 11th.
1: It was Sunday, June the 23rd, 2013 when football history was written at the Gabba. Geelong sitting in second place on the ladder with only one loss from 11 games in the season. Traveled to Brisbane in the Sunday Twilight slot to play a Lions team stuck in the bottom four with just the three wins for the year. Late in the third quarter, Geelong lead by 52 points and what happens next is a story we've all told many times over. Today on The Raw Deal, Before we cast our vision forward to the second half of 2023, we're going back in time a decade to reflect on one of the most memorable moments in Brisbane Lions history. We're going to be joined by two key figures from that late June day. Uh, Commentator Anthony Hudson will talk us through the call of the game itself and that particular phrase, the miracle on grass." And the man at the centre of it all, Ash McGrath, will reflect back on arguably the most iconic goal after the siren in VFL, AFL history. Uh, Mike Whiting joins me for this very special episode of the Raw Deal. And Mike, as uh, as we sit here in early June 2023, uh, what is the first memory that comes to mind for you of that day a decade ago.
2: little tingle up your spine then, Dom, here in, yeah. the, here in the commentary again.
1: Yeah, I know it's a minute and a half of commentary there with with no visuals, just the audio, but I think everyone, when you hear that audio, your mind sees it play by play by play.
2: Absolutely, you do. I can, I can see the whole passage. I don't need Hutto's commentary, but yep. I loved how excited his voice got. It was almost like his voice was breaking there a couple of times. Yes. Towards the end, he was that high-pitched, but- First thing I remember is just the, for me, it was the chaos in the media room, which I think would have Mm. reflected the chaos in the crowd. It was just so improbable. The whole comeback was Mm. just improbable. I'm sure we would have been filing our stories at three-quarter time thinking the match was over. And even just hearing it then, eight goals in the last quarter. Yeah, Ridiculous. (laughs) Just insane. Let alone the fairy tale finish. And I just remember the chaos and you just can't believe, you cannot believe what's happened. Yes. It's, It's hard to comprehend and then you've got to, For us, it was switching back into work mode and trying to to write a story out of it somehow. But just chaos, I think, was the best way i can remember it yeah i really vividly remember thinking at the end of this game
1: i've just witnessed something i'll remember on my deathbed as an old man that this this afternoon will stick with me for the rest of my life and and that was why when we started this new iteration uh, iteration of the raw deal um earlier this year mike one of the first things you and i said was we've got to do a miracle on grass while uh, 10 years on reflection um and look back on on what was such a memorable day i uh, can't wait to chat to hutto I uh, can't wait to chat to, to Ash McGrath as well. Before we do that, we're going to talk through the day itself from our perspective, share a couple of stories that some you may have heard, some you you may not have before. Uh, I also want to go through all of the goals of the comeback. I've written down notes on the mic, goal by goal <laughs> by goal, so we can reflect on that. To begin with, though, as we look back on the the day itself, um, it, it's it's always interesting when you come to moments like this and you wonder how much of your memory is accurate of the day and how much has been formed from the hundreds of times you've gone back to watch it. Uh, If I asked you for a particular sort of memory of the day itself, do you have any recollection of walking to the footy that day? Any recollection of what it was like afterwards, maybe Vossi and the the post-match presser? Do you have any of those memories at all?
2: The only memory I have from that day, I don't remember going to the game. I remember in that era Mm. The thing I used to enjoy about going to the footy was maybe watching the opposition's best player <laughs> a lot of the time, wow. whether whether it was maybe Geelong, although they were still such a powerhouse then, mm. didn't have that singular entity like a Gary Ablett who was at the Gold Coast sure. or a, or a Nick Natanui or someone. But I used that's what I <laughs> I did used to enjoy about watching teams come to Queensland. How far things have come, hey! How far things have come. But the the one memory I do have is involves Ash McGrath, actually. I'll get this story out of the way straight away, was Mm. following the match, we went down to the press conference and then the press conference to the Brisbane rooms. We're like, well, I remember there was me, Phil Lutton, who was a journo working, I think Phil was working for Brisbane Times at the time before he went to work for Sydney Morning Herald. I cannot for the life of me remember who the other journo was actually. I can't. I think (laughs) it might have been someone working for AAP. There was three of us that went over to the rooms. Can we have Ash McGrath? No, the answer came back. <laughs> would you like Daniel Rich? Uh, no. We want Ash McGrath, obviously. <laughs> but I do remember standing around for quite – and this this must have been uh, – this was quite a while after the siren. Maybe it was 30 or 40 minutes after the siren because I'm sure it would have been post the press conference because mm. by the time you've written your story after that chaotic finish, you're basically going story straight down to press conferences. Would have spoke to Michael Voss. Would have spoke to Chris Scott. Then over to the rooms, and there's obviously the gab is cleared by that stage. There's almost no one left in the stands. A couple of a couple of revelers might have still been there, um, finishing their final drinks. But <laughs> we went down, and we got knocked back the first time. But Ash did come out eventually, and he's. I'm glad we've got him today. He is. He was in his playing days quite a reluctant mm. media performer. <laughs> yeah, I
1: remember. I remember you've told me these stories that he was one of the best at doing media, but so rarely would would. Yeah. You know, to do it. And, I mean, what I don't understand, we might have to ask him him this a little bit later, but what I don't understand is I would have thought, no matter how reluctant you were at doing media, if you have a moment like that, surely you go, yeah, okay, I'll bask in this for a little yeah. bit. But but even then, he didn't want to. He
2: he wasn't initially keen, and I do think, I wonder whether us being three written journos helped. Okay, Because sure. he doesn't like the limelight, but maybe I think sometimes it's a little... Not that he would have been uh, intimidated by cameras or whatever, but just mm. a little less intimidating having three guys standing around with a tape recorder and asking some questions. And I remember him talking at the time about, you know, he was basically, hey, when I was a kid growing up, we had the two trees in the backyard and I kicked yeah, between yeah. them. And that was the that was his recollections of being a kid, sort of living that, that memory. But we chatted to him, wrote a story. And then the next day, Brisbane had a recovery session at South Bank. And that, that's all the TV cameras, channels seven All the cameras were there at the South Bank pool. Mm. That's what it's called. Street, street speech. speech. Street speech, yeah. yeah. And he did not do it that day. Oh, <laughs> He's just like strutting around in the water. The cameras are like, you're not putting Ash <laughs> McGrath? Oh, he doesn't want to do it. So that. So Brent Maloney, who had an amazing final quarter he and did, a massive yes. impact on that game, did yeah. the media that day. So that's my memories from that day and the following day.
1: Going back to to mid-2013, who would the Lions media team have been back then? Dave Donaghy. He would have been the one hassling Ash to do media, do you reckon, back then?
2: Yeah, I I reckon Dave and... is it still
1: Kate as the Lions head of media? No, I
2: reckon Claire Pettifor might have just started by then. Sorry, Kate (laughs) Stevens now, Kate Harkness, if I've got that wrong, but uh, I think it's... I think I think Claire Pettifor had started that year, so, so they were
1: the ones who would have been hassling I could be Ash. Wrong. To, Maybe it was Kate. I'm
2: not sure. But they yeah. would have been
1: the ones hassling Ash yeah. at any rate. Get get there and do the media. Um, nah. I, I nah. wonder, surely as a media person, you'd know, my one job for the year is to get him to do this. I just have to yep. make this happen. But maybe he was that reluctant. Who knows? Maybe maybe it's impossible to tell someone who's just kicked a goal like that what to do.
2: Yeah, You just have to accept
1: whatever he says, he's running this city at the moment. So, yep. I mean, my memories of the day, it was, and I've shared this with you, I think, once or twice before, Mike, but um, but my radio boss at the time, I was working at B105 and uh, Mickey Ma was the, the content director at B105. Mickey is a wonderful radio guy i think a listener to the raw deal occasionally so uh, hello to mickey if you are listening even though we now are uh enemies in the radio landscape um but wonderful guy mickey and um actually one of the people who gave me my start in radio when he was still over in perth he sort of sent some emails on my behalf to get me into the building so i um, massive fan of mickey and he happened to contact me saying that uh he had a spare spot in the corporate um corporate suite i think the triple m corporate suite and did i want to come along and that's not, a, that's not a hard yes to give. Uh, it was a pretty quick one, I think. My first time ever going corporate, and it wasn't uh, just a box. It was one of those whole suites where you got the indoor, the outdoor, the oh, catering. Yeah, 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 Pretty, pretty nice setup, to be honest. And I remember at the time thinking, well, you know what? I mean, it's going to be a pretty rough day, but we're not going to do well against Geelong. But the food, the drink, it'll all make up mm. for it in the end. And, uh, and I can so clearly remember just getting stuck into the party pies or whatever it was at a, <laughs> at three-quarter time and thinking to myself, well, this is what it's like to go corporate. Imagine if I got to see a win one day in something like this. Wouldn't that be cool? And there were maybe 12, 16 of us in the suite. Um, a couple of them were diehard Cats fans who were gloating hard at three-quarter time. And I've got to say, Mike, and I, I don't think I've ever said this out loud, but I reckon if it was, if I was just in the stands, I reckon there's a chance I might have left at three quarter time. And and I think, I know a lot of people did. I think uh, I heard someone at the Gabba once say that there was some estimation that there was a thousand less people at the end of the game than at the end of the third quarter. So about a thousand people left Miracle on Grass Day at three quarter time or, or early in the fourth quarter
2: but if you do a survey now there was a thousand more <laughs> than the official, official attendance
1: well and then and then my memories of the moment itself were uh, so vividly of just um, of just standing there uh, or sitting there in the box sorry and watching um, bit by bit by bit as you know because you've got the TVs in the suite right so I'm, I, I can see that there's seven seconds six seconds and when I think it's when Jed adcock's on the ground in you know in the middle of the field, and, and I see him take the mark and I look up and see four seconds. I think there just isn't actually the time. And there almost wasn't. it. Every second was needed. So what a what a time. I, I was actually doing Sunday night radio back then just to Brisbane uh, on B105. And I remember, I re- really clearly can remember um, texting people the line saying, can we get a guest on the radio show that night? And they gave us Jordan Lyle from the rooms, and and that was um that was you know he actually had a pretty good fourth quarter as we'll talk about in a bit Jordan Lyle, but I think he was as stunned as everyone. And it's it's such a beautiful moment because in the middle of this this 15 year stretch where the Lions were no good, there's really two highlights: there's the Carlton final, and there's the Miracle on Grass. Yep. And um, if the Lions win a regulation flag this year, you know, get to the Grand Final, win by 40 50 points, it will be the happiest football day of my life. But there'll be something about the quality of what the miracle on grass was emotionally that it would be hard to match. I, I've thought that before.
2: It is. It's still probably the singular moment yeah. since the last premiership that sticks in. It's not probably, it is, isn't it? Even, Definitely. Even all the wins in the recent times, which are magnificent. The win against Melbourne last year, the win against Richmond in the final, Joe yes. Danaher's late goal. Yeah. You remember the victory, but as a singular moment. It's not even close that no. it's a and yeah, goals after the siren. I mean your man Zach Bailey's is memorable, but it's still just and that still gives me that that'll send a tingle up my spine when I watch the Zach Bailey replay, but yeah. just nothing like the nothing like this one. Just no. because of the the culmination of everything, the the milestone, the clock ticking down, the un, the opponent. Mm. The, you think the odds of Brisbane beating Geelong at Geelong were almost and I know that they they'd won the premiership in twenty eleven, hadn't won it in twelve, but you read the stats at the start 10 yeah. and 10 and 1 or 11 and 1 going into that game and Yes. Basically for 6 years they'd they'd probably lost about 20 games. Yeah, <laughs> like yeah. Almost unbeatable for 5 or 6 years and the likelihood of old Brisbane who just struggling away trying to, you know, mm. not the worst team in the comp but far from finals contention at that stage to to come back from Eight, nine goals down, so unlikely. Just the culmination of event the combination of events was so unlikely, which makes it so memorable.
1: Well, I, I want to go through before we are joined by Hutto, which is a, a bit of a thrill, actually, to talk to Hutto. I loved his commentary for so many mm. years, and so to have him join us is, is pretty great. Um, and then Ash a bit later on. I do want to go through um, the goals that, that were involved in the comeback uh, and just see what your memories are of each of them. Like, it all began uh, with just under four minutes left in the third quarter. The Cats are up at this point, And when you say this scoreline, it's hard to believe. 88 to 37. Now now you can see why I was thinking if I was in the stands I might leave at that juncture. I know there's a lot of Lions fans who say oh, I would never leave the team. I'm sorry no, I haven't always been there. It was a
2: Twilight Sunday game. Yes. There's every chance. So this is yeah. So this is probably about six, si- 6.20 yeah, maybe. Six, six thirty or thereabouts. Yep. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, if I leave now, I can get home at 7, 7.30, have a feed, <laughs> yeah. you know, or exactly. whatever you were going, you had work that night, so.
1: Yeah, but just get, you know, basically get out of here and get I, into what's next. I can understand that. Totally. So 88.37, and this is where Jonathan Brown gets the ball, just outside 50, puts it to the top of the square where Joel Patful uh, in a rare stint, mm. stint up forward takes the mark and snaps the goal to bring the margin back to 45. Now, I don't know if you've seen this recently, but one of the funny things is it definitely wasn't a mark. Joel Batfull definitely yeah. dropped the ball. It was it was incredibly generous by the from the umpire to pay that mark. And I reckon if there's a goal in the game, the mark probably isn't paid. I think there's an element where at that stage of the game, they're like, oh well,
2: even one.
1: Well, it's close <laughs> enough and <laughs> yep. you're probably not overthinking it too much. And near and enough's
2: good enough when the team's fifty points behind. <laughs> I know. Yep. And it's yeah. funny,
1: because if that mark isn't paid, which it shouldn't have been. The whole thing doesn't happen, you know, almost certainly doesn't happen because each moment, each second was needed as we saw. So that's the, the first one, Job Hatful kicking things off. Um, that was his second last year at the club, third last year before he, he went to join the Giants and have a bit of a furor on the block. Um, yeah, which, maybe third last, yeah. I don't know how, when he finished, yeah. How did that whole The Block saga finish for him? Did you hear I any updates on that? No, I didn't, no. Yeah, okay. No. sounded pretty messy for a little it while did. there, though, <laughs> with him and his partner. But, you know, he's got the 2013 uh, Miracle on Grass. He's got to a big role to play in him. that. Yeah. He does, definitely. The next goal before three-quarter time comes from a Daniel Rich clearance straight to a Jonathan Brown mark, 15 metres out or so, and an easy conversion. Um, this is what I guess set the scene. Uh, we're under seven goals now at three quarter time. But still, I mean, you've covered so many games, Mike, especially in that era. Y- you have, how much of the article do you reckon you had written of your match report by, by the time uh, the fourth quarter started? I would
2: say quite a lot, to be honest, because again, they're just such a strong team. You go into the game assuming that Geelong was going to win when they get eight or nine goals in front. You, well, this this job's done. I am positive I would have had most of the article written. Yeah, right. Yeah, po- right. positive. Yeah.
1: So then we enter the last quarter, uh, and it takes five minutes for things to get going. It doesn't happen straight away. I think it's five minutes of play before yeah, um,
2: fifteen on the clock.
1: Yeah, yeah. when no no more goals kicked. When Stevie J kicks an awful grubber along the ground in the middle of the field. Bounces off the boot of one of the umpires. I I wanted to get that umpire on, actually, Mike, but I couldn't track down contact details. Uh, Ricochets towards Richie, picks it up, passes it to Zork, who slots the goal on the run from 50. And I reckon this is the moment the thought first crossed my mind. Oh, it's not impossible. I didn't think it was in any way on the cards. Just a, well, this isn't impossible, I guess. And, uh, and and then moments later, almost immediately afterwards, Brent Maloney marks a poor kick in from Josh Hunt, I think, kicks it, it from 50, and now it's only 27 points. And this is the moment that the whole mood shifted yeah. at the Gabba because we've now made four or five goals back. And now now suddenly there's a little bit of hope, a little bit of – I mean, this is when you would have expected a team like Geelong to absolutely clamp down and end the game. Um, but, but this was really where things probably started to take off.
2: 27 points is the stage where – I'm watching thinking, okay, I've got to probably pull back some of the <laughs> adjectives I've used about the performance. <laughs> now, I'm not saying I would have yep. shit on Brisbane too much yeah, because, yeah. like I said, there was a big discrepancy between the teams anyway, but like the the strength of the victory or some some of the adjectives you'd use about Brisbane's performance. This when you start, okay, I've got to probably readjust what I've written here. Mm. I'm not changing because it's still 27 points. It's still a pretty, a pretty hefty margin for a, such a – powerful team like Geelong but that's when you're, you're stopping and you're probably starting to watch the game a bit more I think that's yeah, when I'm starting sure. to take a bit notice rather than just head down riding away when I've probably missed one or two of those goals so this yeah, yeah 27 points is the stage where you're genuinely starting to take notice and think hang on things have changed a bit here
1: a few minutes later, Tom Rockliffe gets the ball on the wing just outside 50, centers it to Jed Adcock, who takes the mark, plays on, and uh, kicks a long goal from outside the arc. Do you, do you know, Mike, as I was watching this game back to reflect on it for this podcast, it struck me how many of these goals came from 50 or long outside range. 50. Yep. It's a lot of long range. Very few of them. I think five maybe, or six, maybe. Maybe three of the comeback goals were actually from within twenty metres yeah, of the goal. Yeah, I
2: feel like five or six were long, long yeah. range.
1: Long, long Fifth. range. Uh the cats strike back with a goal to Stevie J afterwards. And then And to be honest, that's all
2: like I would rem- I don't remember specifically what I was thinking in that moment, but mm. that's where I think generally you think, okay, they've steadied the ship now. Yes. They yes. will bunker down. They've stopped the run of goals. Yeah. they'll Next time they win the ball, they'll take two minutes of the game out, chip it around a bit and just take the air out of it and think, well, that's the game done because it's back out to 26 or 27 points at that stage. And you think, well, I don't know how long was left without – I did watch this not so long ago, but – Um, obviously the time's ticking and it it is a factor.
1: And it's Geelong. You kept thinking Geelong Geelong will shut this down. Yeah. So much so that when Stevie J kicked that goal, I I went back into the suite to get another party. Hi, Mike. (laughs) I was like, like, wow, we had a little bit of fun. I actually can remember turning to a friend I was there with and saying, you know, if we lose to the Cats by under six goals, that's pretty good with how this game looked like it was going. It's a pretty good result, really. So I was ready for honourable loss territory. Yeah. And it does show how far we've come when 36 points would be an honourable loss, doesn't it? Um, Then Matty Lewenberger goes up in the ruck uncontested inside 50. Not quite sure what happened there from the Cats. Grabs the ball out of the ruck, grubbers it along the ground to my man from the radio that night, Jordan Lyle, who collects and gives... uh, the best handball of his career, I think, to Pierce Hanley over the shoulder. Yes. And uh, Pierce runs into the open goal. And, and this is really where we realise we're on again because then I think it's the next clearance, the very next clearance yes. with 10 minutes of play left, 96 to 76 to the Cats. The ball goes up in the middle. Luenberger taps it down to Brent Maloney, who gathers, evades a Cats player, and kicks a still one of the great drop punts I've ever seen. 70 metres, I reckon, that ball travelled to go through the goals, bringing it back to 14 points. And At this stage, it's starting to seem like this surely isn't actually possible.
2: Because that happened in such a rush, you're talking there from there was no goals until the 15 or 15 yes. and a half minute mark. Yeah, we're at the 10 minute mark here, are yes, we now? We are. And there's been four or five goals to one in that period. It yeah. just happened in such a hurry. And the Maloney, that Maloney goal, mm. aside from Ash's match winner, obviously, is the one that I remember the most vividly from the yeah, from right. the contest yep. and. And I don't need to see a replay to remember it. And that's the one I go straight to every time because it was mm. like you described, it was just such a perfect drop punt on the, yes. you couldn't hit a ball better. No, um, no. way. he kicked it from 60, 65, and it sailed through. Like it was never <laughs> it was it was never falling short. It was just a beautiful drop punt. And he had such an influential last quarter. And mm. that's yeah, like there's so and suddenly there's so much time left. Yeah. Yes. There's exactly. actually time remaining now to Yeah you didn't want to cut it to the last second as they did, but there was time available, 10 minutes or so and you're less than three goals behind.
1: Does make me wonder what was going on in the minds of the cats at this stage. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, as such a pro team. Are you thinking, is there still an arrogance or a self-belief there that we're fine here? Or are you panicking? I don't know. I don't want to, to talk
2: on behalf of them, but I would think that if I was in their shoes, I'd still be thinking it's fine. Yeah, I agree. I agree. They had one without doing the numbers. They won. they they would have won over 80% of their matches for the previous five or six years. They were <laughs> yes. just almost – they were so difficult to beat and they had won from every position yeah. known. So you wouldn't mm. – just keep thinking, ah, oh, you know, um, Stevie J will kick another goal or – Hawkins. Paul, yeah, Hawkins will kick a goal or Paul Chapman will do something yes. or, you know. Yeah. Someone Matt – yeah, Matty Scarlett still playing then, I don't know. But, like, you just think – some. We've got all these champions around us. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we'll, we'll be fine. Well,
1: and and they do pretty well because it goes quiet for the next five or six minutes of game time. Um, I think it's uh, there's maybe three minutes forty six left when something else happens. So there's a good, uh, well, a good chunk of almost game. Almost isn't seven it? minutes of game time there where nothing happens and, and Geelong do shut the thing down. Um, but then Pierce Anley centres the ball to the top of the square. Jordan Lyle's involved again, a diving mark that doesn't quite get there in time, but. Again, in a moment of deft handball work from Lyle, he's able to get the ball to Ash McGrath, who passes it on to Mitch Golby, who curls it through from the pocket. And now we're at seven points with three minutes, 46 left. And uh, and it's fair to say the Gabba is buzzing at this juncture and everyone's aware of still how unlikely it seems that we could get over the top of the Cats. And at the same time, how aware of how historic it would be if we could.
2: So I'm, I'd am i be genuinely panicking by this stage in the media box. Yeah. <laughs> With a complete rewrite happening, <laughs> yeah. So this is the stage when I'd probably have about three stories going almost. Yeah, it'd right. be it'd wow. be Geelong has survived the scare from Brisbane, yeah. Or Brisbane has pulled off a remarkable come from behind victory, not quite knowing how it's going to pan out. But you yeah, sort of got to try yeah. and hedge your bets a little bit, and 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 obviously the draw is still in place. I don't think I would have had that at that stage as an option, but you kind of do know in the back of your head that that's still an option.
1: <laughs> and so can, can you take us into the media role of this sort of a situation? Like
2: in it's, a game like this- it's, it's chaos in the media room, it, honestly, with something like this. Well,
1: in a game like this, are you do you get a little bit of grace from your bosses in a game like that, or do they still expect the match report in the normal time?
2: Yeah, the, I mean, they do give you some grace, obviously. I, I can't remember that specific day, but generally- the quicker you get it done, the better. And regardless of how quick you get it done after the siren, you've got to get it done before you go down and speak to the coaches. In my in my job, maybe the guys um, – I was going to say previously, the guys writing for newspapers wouldn't have that as an issue because um, unless it was a night game because they've, their deadlines are at night. But now they do have to file immediately because their story will go online and something updated in the newspaper for the following day. But, but no, generally you're trying to get it done within 10 minutes of the siren. But for something like this, you might have 15 minutes, but you still, I feel like a lot of maybe at halftime you'll write some background copy. This Mm. happened in the first half, but it might just be a couple of paragraphs or a little bit about a few players that were um, definite uh, storylines. But a match that ends up like this, where it's gone from 50 points, and as we speak now, it's at seven points, regardless of what happens, all anyone really probably cares about is what happened in that last quarter Mm. so your whole most of your story is the last quarter it's the comeback did brisbane get over the line did geelong almost blow it so anything you'd written beforehand a sort of background or running copy is largely redundant yeah Um, you're almost starting from scratch regardless of which way the result goes from here and you're just trying to get a little head start on well if it goes this way i've got a few paragraphs written but if it goes the other way i've got a few paragraphs written as well and it's, it's just chaos because the journos are all watching, but they're writing. There's four or five of you in there. Who, who hand-passed it to Golby? Like, <laughs> how did that unfold? Like, what happened there? Um, yeah. And you're sort of all – there's people yelling. You're trying to hear the TV. You're asking questions of each other, and it's probably like it is in the crowd. It's just chaos.
1: Well, I have just while you've been speaking, Mike, found your match report
2: from the game back in twenty thirteen. Boy, oh boy, I I haven't looked at this. (laughs) Haven't you? No. So
1: the headline milestone: Man McGrath, seals lines thrilling win over. I actually feel
2: awkward here. (laughs) I do honestly.
1: (laughs) Well, I won't read. I won't do that to you as much as it was a brilliant piece. Eight fourteen, you got it up that night, got it published. I don't know if that was an updated version or the first run. Um but yeah, eight fourteen. Yeah. It would have been mad. It would have been updated,
2: up I'd say, because they'd yeah. probably have quotes from the coach in that. At, yeah, yeah, there at, are here. Yeah, yep. so that would have been the updated version, I'd say. Both Chris Scott and Michael. But Osprez I would have got it in, in quite quickly. Yeah. Uh
1: do you have any memory? If I asked you, you you put five Lions players in the best that night from your oh. immediate review. Hang on. Hang on. So <laughs> this is this
2: such is a stitch one. up, this I know. This is a stitch up, but <laughs> also Best players, and I know it should be important. It's stupid because I look to best players when I read match reports. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Of course I do. Mm. And I care about it when I write them. But sometimes in a match like this and you're just worried about your copy – then you see, oh, God, I've got to do best players. <laughs> and you're just like smashing five names out as quick as you can. Thinking, I've just got to get that down and get down to the press
1: conference. <laughs> well, look, it's so a bit I hard say, to be asking you for five, a decade on, but give it a go. You had five players in there. I want to I would see. say Maloney. Yep. Bang. You got one out of five.
2: <laughs> one out of five. Uh, God, I'm struggling. One of them should sh- be easy. Rich? Yep. Yep.
1: There's two out of five. McGrath? Yep, there's three out of five.
2: Oh, and rolling. You've already won now. Anything from
1: here is just just icing on top. If you can Uh, remember the last two that you would have put down. Think the twenty thirteen line. Lewenberger? No, you didn't have Louie in you. Louie? Mate, come on.
2: You were up against Dawson Simpson, weren't you? So, <laughs> Give you one more guess of Okay, the one more guess. Um, one black, of them. Blackie. Yes,
1: I'm a Blacks in there. My there main man. Well done. That's pretty impressive that you get four of the five. Do you what reckon have, you I'll, could I'll get I'll fifth? Have
2: one, I'll have one more guess. It's Zorko. No. No, it was a fifth. Jack Redden was your Reddo. fifth. Reddo! Oh, yeah. oh, I used to love Reddo. <laughs> he was in there every week regardless. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, there's your five. I'm really impressed that you could rattle yeah. off the four of the five you picked. That's uh, that's very. Ma- maybe I you know. pick
2: the same five guys every week in that, that, that <laughs> in that era. <laughs> uh,
1: Sam Mays was replaced in the third quarter by the sub. Do you remember who the sub was that day? <laughs> uh, really putting maybe, it maybe you. was it Mitch Golby. No, it wasn't no. Mitch Golby. A similar similar era of Lion. Um, I reckon this this guy Mitch Golby were very good friends. He probably played five or six seasons at the club. I think Tasmanian. If that helps you out there. Oh, Ryan Harwood. Ryan Harwood. Yeah. Okay. So yeah. Harwood came there on for Sam Some... Mays during the third quarter.
2: There we go. We're adding we're adding value to this podcast. <laughs> yeah, we
1: are. <laughs> Just well, because it's funny. You remember the key players in the match, but yeah. there, there's a lot out there. Like when I watched it back, and this goes to the next one. Actually, the next goal with two minutes left. Brent Staker takes a strong contested mark on the wing, kicks it forward to Richie outside 50. And Richie does what we've seen him do so often wheels around and boots at home Bang. to level the scores at 97 each. When I watched that again the other day, I had a moment of going, I'd forgotten that Staker was in this mm. this team and in this game. Yeah. So it's funny, you remember McGrath, I think you remember Zorko, uh, yep. you remember he Brent Staker. Yep. Yep. You remember the East place, but there's a couple watching it back. That you go, oh, that's right, I forgot they were in this yeah, game.
2: Because they're in that. you remember the guys in the big moments. Yes. But then you sort of your memory's hazy. You, you you remember players from that era, but not necessarily were they in that game or not? Like, Yeah, yeah, that's it. You don't Red, know who was in the you know, best twenty oh, two at that Red stage. And, and, Redden, and Rockliffe, and Rich, that was sort of the midfield of that era with Simon Black, sort of yes. Blackie had uh was that his last that was Blackie's last year, I think. So I think but, it was. Yeah, you're trying to yeah, so your memory becomes a bit hazy 10 years later.
1: Well, the other one for me that surprised me was Froggy Lester played that night. Yeah, um, right. So on. he was in the best 22 at that particular juncture. And it's interesting that, you know, he's one of the the few who are still running around yeah. there now. So it's him, Zork, and, and Rich Richie. are the, the three who played um, then who are still playing for the Lions today, um, which is... You know, it's a funny one. I wonder if they have a moment, um, a decade on where they reflect back a little bit and go, "Wow, wasn't that a crazy experience we all went through back yeah, then?" Yeah,
2: especially. I mean, Ash McGrath spent some time at the club in the lead up to the Suns match, the first weekend of the Sir Doug Nicholls Round, and mm. I, w- I wonder whether they have a little moment within there. I'm sure they'd have to. It'd have to be mentioned, wouldn't it?
1: I would think so. Yeah, I think so.
2: Even well, even if they're not going through it goal by goal like we are, I'm sure yes. there'd be a, a moment.
1: Ah, uh, Justin Clark played that game as well. Uh, early game in Justin his career. Clark, wow! Yeah. yeah, and the other one that surprised me was Sam Doherty. Sam Doherty played for <laughs> the Lions that that particular
2: evening. Mate, so. you could have probably given me thirty <laughs> guesses and I wouldn't have come up with him actually. Yeah. yeah. So you
1: think about the the like I have vague I can only vaguely remember Sam Doherty in a Lions jumper. Same here. And yet he was a part of one of the most iconic moments in club history. Yeah, because
2: so. I remember I did something for AFL Daily maybe six or eight weeks ago. Or or Sam Doherty's one fiftieth, which was at the Brisbane game. Yeah, it It was the Brisbane game. Yeah, Yeah. it was Sam Doherty's one fiftieth. So I looked doing a bit of research for that, and I thought, oh, he. I don't think he played in his first year at Brisbane. He had he played a a season in the Nefil because he had hammy problems, and Mm. I think he had an illness or something, and. And yeah, he played twelve or thirteen games in his second year, which was obviously twenty thirteen, this one. So yeah. for one of your twelve or thirteen games in lions colours, that's just not a bad memory. No, <laughs> no,
1: not a bad one at all. Uh so look after that, where famously Tom Sc- Hawkins has a chance.
2: See, scores a level though. This is yes. when this is when you are this is when I would be. Mm. Well, I would probably have one paragraph as a draw. Yeah, Just right, thinking, okay, right. it's an option.
1: Yes. Well, in my mind, whenever scores get level in a big game like this, uh, that's I think that's the most anxious you can be at a game of footy, more than being a bit ahead or a bit behind, because the stakes are so high that, that all you need to do, it feels like, is is just rush the ball through and you can win the game. Mm. Like, you don't need to have
2: amazing skill. You just need to somehow like, score. Like the Bulldogs in the 2021 semifinal. Yes. At yeah. the Gabba, when it was, yep. I think it was Latham Vandermeer sort of forced it through for a behind, and that yes. was the ultimate winning behind. Oh, Don't mention but, that.
1: Mike, this is meant to be a fun yeah, I know, podcast. I know. <laughs> Why would you bring that up? That's does. like being at someone's wedding and going, remember that awful breakup you remember had? Remember that ex you had there?
2: Yeah.
1: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Why would you bring the mood down, Mike?
2: Gosh. Um, we'll have to lift it back up It now. does make me think, though. I mean, you're in a corporate box, so you don't know, and I'm in a media box, so I've, I've got coverage. But this is obviously an era where mm. we know the clocks at the ground are running up, Yes. People don't know how long's left. The our uh, the AFL app, which counts down on the app, and you can see how long's left if you're mm. plugged into the app now and you you know most people in the crowd know how long is remaining now. I don't know whether that's the case in this game. No. Well back then there's the probably, AFL
1: app like, didn't count down it yet, didn't I don't count think. Down. It, and even no, then the signal it. it was even somehow yep. worse back then. I yeah. don't know how that's possible. So maybe but it was. M-
2: maybe the maybe if you're listening on the radio you've you've got an idea, perhaps. Yeah. Um yeah. but this was a different era unless you're in a box watching a tv yes the crowd doesn't know whereas now they people can have the, the counting up counting down mm. clock is a different conversation but everyone knows now because the players even want to know that's why there's signs going up two minutes to go one minute to go 30 yes. seconds to we go didn't even the know the, yeah there were none of them back then we did not know that no so the players are largely flying blind looking at a clock that Probably, I don't know how long this quarter went, but I imagine it was very long because there was yeah. a ton of goals being kicked. Yes. So they're probably looking at 32, 33 minutes. God, the scores are level how long's left. Yeah, yeah. And Tom, and Tomahawk, you know, has I cut you off there. Well, that's what I was saying. That,
1: and this, speaking about just needing the one point, when Hawkins takes that mark, it was so gutting. Yep. Because it seemed like there's no way Geelong can lose now. Yep. It seemed like um, like either well, – you probably would have backed him to kick the goal there, you know, nine times out of ten, Tom Hawkins. But even He's if he doesn't – He's going to take his 30. He'll take the 30. He'll at least score. And and we, I can see that at that stage there's just over a minute left. Yep. The odds of Brisbane being able to do it again, you know, are, are very slim. Then he misses the goal. And at this stage we're thinking last chance. And, and I think it might have been Staker who kicks out and just bangs it straight down the middle. Yep. The, the Wolves is like a bit of a loose ball. Richie gets it, swings around. And uh, at that point, you're thinking, we're a chance, we're a chance. The ball falls short. Geelong uncontested mark. And that's about the stage where I think everyone went, it's not yep. going to happen.
2: Everyone thought it was over then. Yeah,
1: <laughs> That was our last roll of the dice. And then the most bizarre moment of the entire game continues to be Dawson Simpson <laughs> getting the ball on the wing and playing on. Yep. Now, you watch that back. He had some uncontested Geelong players behind him and around him he could have kicked to. And instead, he decides to play on. And this is where everything happens. Uh, so basically, Joel Corey sends the ball inside Geelong's 50. Dan Merritt takes a strong intercept mark, hesitates for a moment, handballs to Elliot Yo. Yo runs and kicks the ball to Simon Black. Blackie turns and spots up Joel Patful, just outside defensive 50. Patful turns to the middle and gets it to Jed Adcock, who takes a mark in the center of the ground. He finds himself lying on the ground with only five seconds left. He hand passes from the ground to Dane Zorko. Zork spots up Ash McGrath, who marks just on the 50-meter arc. And then the miracle occurs with 103-98 to 98 being the final uh, score of that particular day.
2: I just looked up, that was Dawson Simpson's sixth game. Yeah, It was his fourth season. He was two games, one game, two games, and that was his first game of that season. So wow. inexperienced. So he's probably 22 or two, I don't know how old he was, but he was not, not young in AFL terms, but inexperienced. And I'm sure yes. he's looked back on that and I mean, I'm sure he doesn't have a ton of regrets. It's one game in the middle of the season for Geelong, yeah. <laughs> but it's... But, yeah, it was a – I
1: doubt it's one he's watched back. No, no, no. no, no. You wouldn't think he would be watching that back in the same way that maybe the Lions would um, over the years. Just a
2: freakish passage of play at the end there for Brisbane. Obviously, everything has to go right, but Black's kick, Mm. the awareness and vision from the back pocket to pick out a teammate. Yes. I mean, he doesn't know that there's 15 seconds left or whatever it is. He knows it, but he just knows there's not much time and –
1: do you I, know the moment I'm for me ball. in that? And we mentioned it a bit earlier, but it's Jed Adcock understanding he had to handball off got the ground. No time. Yeah, yep. like th- that's remarkable to me when yep. they don't have any way of telling the players. You would think the instinct would be to get yep. up and run. Yeah, and if he had, of, we lose the game.
2: But and, instead and, he,
1: he somehow knows off the ground, we just and have to And also go.
2: credit to Zork for yes. being available. Yeah, Adcock's on the ground probably looking up and just seeing Zork running as quick yeah. as he can as an option and just knowing that time's an issue, a factor. And yeah, But, yeah, you're right. It's the presence of mind in that situation mm. to be able to execute that or to think of it, have a clear enough mind to know that that's – what you have to do and then to execute it yeah um, fantastic and then it's remarkable shouldn't I mean it's it it's a pretty easy kick by Zork to be honest but if that's a half a meter higher it yes. might get spoiled if it's half a meter lower McGrath might drop it like mm. it has to be perfect and it's a pretty simple kick but again to execute um, his skills under pressure in what was probably only his 20th game like Zork, yeah, yeah. Zork had not been around long he only started the previous year his 20, 25th game or something Yeah, great. Um, Everything going right and everyone thinking clearly and executing their skills under pressure, amazing.
1: I I did think when McGrath took the mark, it's like time slowed down. I can remember this one really clearly. That It it was as if that 10, 20, 30 seconds before he took the shot felt more like five or 10 minutes. Mm -hmm. And I kept thinking he's probably going to miss. He's probably going to miss. But a dr- wouldn't a draw be amazing for this yep. comeback? How good would a draw be? I don't really think I let myself entertain the idea that it could be a win, that he could kick that goal. Um, but, but then when it happened... The euphoria around the Gabba, the shock, the disbelief. I mean, we've been treated a bit in the last few years to have a few moments like this. Uh, and in fact, maybe you could argue that the next vivid one we had at the Gabba was the next time we beat the Cats, Link McCarthy, McCarthy. 2019. Um, probably the 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 most euphoric the Gabba was since the Miracle on Grass. Um, but but in recent years we've had a few experiences like that. You've mentioned some of the finals as well. But that particular moment was it was like a you know. A, a wellspring in the middle of the desert you know we <laughs> we'd had such a we'd had the the you know polks's talk a little bit earlier you know the year before but really apart from that we hadn't had this euphoric joy at the gabba for for quite a while
2: no totally i remember when ash took the mark and went back i definitely remember thinking this he's got the distance yes. that was the first thing i thought it's a long kick but he's a long kick and he yeah. will he will make the journey um and then thankfully i mean this is a again a different perspective that we had than mm. most people in the crowd would have had but we were obviously watching on the tv and we got the behind yes the behind view so well it didn't start straight it started just to the right of the goal post and mm. it just drew back but maybe i don't know about how much time but it felt like about a second after it came off the boot that you knew it was straight. Yeah. And once I knew it was straight, I knew it was a goal. Yeah. I was watching the TV, not the kick live, to be honest, because that was a better angle to watch it on. <laughs> yes. yes, So as soon as you could see it straight, I'm like, he, he's kicked it. And then, mm. well, then my eyes diverted to the field and saw everyone jumping over the top of each other and the, the, the pandemonium, the great word, like the pandemonium that was mm. on field. And then you're probably trying to process it I certainly was for 30 or 60 seconds before you're starting to try to work again and think, God, yeah. how the hell do you write that and how do you try and retell that for people that didn't see it? But yes, yeah. You have to re-see it at some stage, and anyone that read read my story that night or read any anyone's version that night would have been going straight to a replay anyway. But, mm. yeah, it was... It, it is. And I don't think it's very hard to replicate that despite the smaller size of the crowd. That would be at the bottom of a match report, mate. 24 for sure.
1: and a bit thousand, actually. That's actually, that's for Sunday highlight. Yeah. I yes.
2: have, if I was, if you had it to me, <laughs> guess the crowd, I probably would have guessed 18 yeah, or that's, 19. I, that was yeah. my
1: memory, too. So when yeah. I saw 24 and a half, I think it is, it's a thousand. Good crowd. It's pretty good crowd. So yeah. the Lions still doing okay uh, at that point. Yeah, I they guess, weren't so. a terrible team in that no. year by any stretch. It I got mean, a lot worse. To the players'
2: names that we've just mentioned there. Like there's yes. Black. Brown like this, and yeah. you know, red and Rockliffe, rich like there's Good, absolutely good there players. Patful, you know, mm. steak like there's a there's a good, good bulk in there. Yeah, there Dan is merit still around. So Dan Merritt, BMO yeah, Maloney,
1: yep. a heaps of good players still in there. So look, it, it would have been an iconic moment in itself, you know, even if there were no commentators that day. But yep. one of the most uh, iconic parts of the day has been the term "miracle on grass," coined by Anthony Hudson. Now, when we sat down, Mike, to to start planning this episode months ago. We said almost before Ash McGrath, the man we need to get on because we've not heard their take on this is Anthony Hudson. We want to know the story behind the name Miracle on Grass, his memories of the day. We want to see if this is possible. And we are so over the moon uh, to have been able to have Anthony Hudson join us. He's just jumped into the Zoom chat now to reflect on his memories of the day. Hado, uh, thank you so much for, for making time to, to be on The Raw Deal with us.
3: Now, my pleasure. Good to go back in time.
1: Yes. Well, we we want to jump straight into this. Uh, Take us back almost a decade to the Miracle on Grass. What what are your your most vivid memories of that day?
3: Um, It's a good question. It is always a little bit difficult to um, remember things accurately. You remember um, moments and roughly um, what happened, but I guess probably you remember the video that gets replayed more than anything, but... I certainly remember that um, it had been a tough time for Brisbane and obviously I'd been lucky enough to call some of the the great premierships and the the great moments and things had certainly changed since then. I remember it was Ash McGrath's milestone game and he probably represented more than anyone that period of uh, between um, or after the premierships, I suppose, where um, Mm. it it had been a tough time for Brisbane and uh, being a Geelong supporter, uh, I'd been lucky enough to call a lot of great Geelong uh, games through that time as well. So yeah, to be so far in front, yeah, you, know, you just don't expect a team to come back from from that far behind. So um, yeah, it was it was uh, yeah quite an incredible finish and and one in which uh, yeah I'll certainly never forget.
2: I don't know if you do remember specifics, Hutto, but I, I did. Go, I had to go back and watch the the highlights of it before we spoke to you actually just to jog my memory. But Brisbane was obviously down by m- more than 50 points. When do you get a feeling that, hang on, maybe this comebacks on as a commentator. You're obviously trying to keep the audience engaged, but when do you get the feeling that, hey, this there might be something more than just a couple of consolation goals here?
3: Yeah, it's a good question. I mean, I, I suppose you're always, you're always looking for it mm. because as a commentator, you love nothing more than, um, than, than a situation like that um, where a team comes back because you can, you know, you, you can really feel the atmosphere. And I think, The Gabba is uh, as good as any ground when it's when it's pumping. Like when you when the when the crowds are there and the the atmosphere is is like it was that night. It it really does rock. You can sort of you can feel the whole whole ground shake. So um, and as I said, it had been a tough time for for Brisbane. So um, yeah. So I suppose no one really thought because Geelong maybe weren't at their peak, but it was only a couple of years after their their well their 2011 premiership. So. You certainly didn't expect it. Yeah, I think Fossey's job had been, you know, it was being questioned already by then. Um, so you're not expecting it, but 50-odd points, yeah, that's that's far-fetched, isn't it? <laughs> but as a commentator, I suppose part of our job is to try and sell the case that a team might get hot and come back. And and then when it happens, you're probably as surprised as anybody. So, <laughs> um, yeah. So I don't I don't know at what point in that game that I actually thought it was going to potentially happen, but... Um, but, yeah, once it does and once they get rolling, it's uh, it's pretty amazing to be, to, uh, to be part of it.
1: Something I've always wondered, Hutto, is how they allocate, uh, you know, at Fox, for example, which commentators get which games, you know, in terms of sort of the rostering system. Is it as simple as you get a text on a Thursday from someone saying, hey, you're doing, you know, Twilight Saturday against the Crows? Do you get to to put a submission in?
3: <laughs> no no submissions are accepted I'm afraid <laughs> uh we get our roster about six weeks in advance or we get sorry we get uh, a, a lot of about six weeks worth of games so uh whenever that comes and uh, every now and then it gets changed for one reason or another uh, but basically I mean it, it yeah it, it's it's not something we have any great control over you might if there was some absolute um personal reason or whatever why you couldn't do a game or want to do a certain game you might put a request in but it doesn't necessarily mean you get your request so no i mean it it, it's it's structured just yeah around how they how they like to uh, distribute the commentators so yeah it's um it's not something we have much much control over you definitely look at your roster and go that's a good game and obviously so that's yeah the good games are kind of shared around a little bit i think as much as anything but they also like to put people with certain other people at certain times
1: well, that actually leads me into the question because I'm I'm wondering when Anthony Hudson of 2013 got the roster and saw Sunday Twilight at the Gabba, <laughs> a struggling Brisbane against a dominant Geelong. Were your thoughts? Oh, this is going to be a bit of a, a a bit of an onerous trip to Brisbane for for nothing that competitive.
3: Well, from memory, I did a game in Adelaide on the Saturday. I could not tell you for the life of me what it was, <laughs> but I, I don't think it was anything amazing. Um, because I, I don't know if for some reason I just remember that it was one of those those sort of weekends where you're like, oh, I'm on the road all weekend and, okay, well, yeah, Brisbane and Geelong, that doesn't excite me too much. Um, but you just <laughs> never know. You never know uh, when a game is, is going to end the way it did. And, um, yes yeah, certainly from from 50 points down, you um, at three-quarter time I wouldn't have been, wouldn't have been expecting we were going to be in for one of the most memorable finishes of all time.
2: How much prep do you put in, Hutto? Obviously, you've been around the game so long. Even at that stage 10 years ago, you'd been calling the game for so many years. Maybe you don't need as much time as you know younger or less experienced callers, but how much homework do you have to do in the lead-up to a match so you can just bang out things you know on demand when the call requires it?
3: Uh, it's a good question. It's not something that I, – I don't think it doesn't matter how many years you've been doing it it really changes too much. It certainly hasn't for me. Um, you just, you have to put the, the prep in, in because that there is, you know, there's 18 teams as there is now, which means there's, you know, 600 odd players. It means every week you, you're probably doing two or three games mm. a weekend. So it's a lot of players and six teams to be across and you've just got to know, uh, you've got to have, a, I mean, it's no doubt a baseline of of knowledge um, helps and once you get into the season you've done the teams a few times, It it does help, but you do need to know, you know what's happened recently um, with the players and you know, obviously any milestones or anything significant, but how teams are playing, what the storylines are. So, it, excuse me, everyone does it differently. You know, it's looking at tape and it's, and it's looking at numbers and it's uh, just trying to get your head in the game. For me, that's probably more what it is, whether it's matchups or however uh, you want to do it. And certainly, you look at individual players that could play significant roles and all those sort of things. And then, yeah, you just, then you just hope that your, your preparation allows you to call the moments when they come up. And, you know, they don't always come up as, as exciting as that, but when they do, you just, yeah, you hope you get it roughly right.
1: So let's ask you about the line itself then uh, because, the, you know, it's one of those games that's been uh, gone on to be called uh, the Miracle on Grass game from your commentary. Uh, did that, that name, that phrase hit you a minute beforehand, five minutes beforehand, or was it a genuine uh, on the moment sort of a response from you?
3: Well, I'd love to say it was a genuine on-the-moment response because they are your favourite ones, I think, as a commentator. And I think, um, yeah, when things and lines or words come together, just instinctively, it's, it's fantastic. Sometimes it happens. Sometimes there's just nothing there. Um, but actually, I, I can actually remember with this what happened is, and I don't know why, but this is why I think the game the night before was in Adelaide. For some reason, I either was reading or saw either a documentary um, or or some kind of reference, either an article or a documentary on the miracle on ice. So that was, for those that don't know, that was the movie about the 1980 Winter Olympics uh, ice hockey game between the United States and the Soviet Union, um, where the Soviet Union was overwhelmingly the favourites and the Americans won. And, And the line from the commentator was not, the Miracle on Ice, mm. but it was, do you believe in miracles? Yes. But the movie was called The Miracle on Ice. And I, I just thought, oh, miracle on ice? No, miracle on grass. If that ever comes up, I might use it. <laughs> <laughs> so it's a wow. simple, absolutely as Gosh. simple as that. It was in my head wow. from the night before, not at all thinking that I would ever, you know, <laughs> or would be likely to use it the next day. But thankfully, I remembered it. It was in my head and, um, and it fell into
2: place. That's incredible because it's wow. the it's the perfect game to use it on a 50-point comeback underdogs. You blah, wouldn't want to
1: burn that on like a four-goal comeback no, or something no, no. only to realize <laughs> no. you missed the moment a week later. That's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. So are you no, a no, exactly.
2: Sorry, mate, are you a are you a sports uh nuffy or sports nerd or maybe just a, a a guy that looks at other commentators to to learn things or I just intrigued about the miracle on ice so you've obviously done a little you know you're interested enough to watch that movie or read up on that is that something that you do regularly in other sports
3: um not not a lot i mean i do yeah i do watch i'm not a mad u.s sports watcher but i'll watch i'll watch the sports at the peak end of the seasons i'll I'll definitely take an interest in how they're commentated whether that be the you know the EPL or the nba or the nfl and you know now i guess now more than ever you come across clips of good commentary or, or so forth um but uh, i don't go seeking it every week or anything like that no but if i come across something or someone sends something and there's a good line in it or, or whatever i'll think well you know can can we apply that to our game and um often often you can't or it, uh, it you don't get the appropriate time to do it but yeah in this case it all it all fell together
1: I'm curious, you mentioned you're a, a Cats fan and so many of your iconic commentary moments feel like they've come in games that the Cats have agonisingly lost, whether it's the miracle on grass, the famous Nick Davis moment in the other uh, Swans-Cats semi-final. Uh, is that something that that you have noticed yourself and have maybe laughed at as well over the journey?
3: Yeah, yeah. it was pointed out to me the other day actually by um, a couple of people at Geelong, funnily enough. But, yeah, I mean, obviously that the Nick Davis one was and that was a time before Geelong had won a, Premiership in my lifetime. So, you know, the set, but I don't believe it kind of had two, mem- two meanings. It had the meaning for the Swans and the Great Goal and had the meaning for the Geelong supporter who'd suffered that <laughs> heartache many, many times. So you, you absolutely could believe it. Um, but th- I, I suppose the backstory to, to the Brisbane one was uh, my oldest daughter was about six or seven at the time, maybe not even that. And she'd taken a, an interest in footy, you know, maybe only a year or so before, and um, or and it really got into it at that time, and she'd really only ever seen Geelong win. I mean, she'd she'd been alive to yeah. three premierships in about six or seven years. Yeah, wow. Um, and and she was watching, um, at home, and uh, from all reports, didn't handle a loss very well. <laughs> from fifty odd points down. So yes, there was a personal uh, personal touch about that as well.
2: I'm sure you reflect on your own calling, Hutto, whether it's the straight after or the next day or at some stage during the week. Is there, these are iconic ones we're talking about. We're still remembering 18 years and 10 years later, respectively. Do you have any look back on and think, uh, I, I botched that in the moment? I wish I had have called that Reg- differently?
3: Regularly. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> Yeah, I mean, there's, there's not. I mean, there, no, there, it's absolutely true that. I, yeah, there's times when you go, oh, I wish I, wish I'd come up with something better, or I didn't quite execute it perfectly. No, that absolutely is. I mean, there's none where I'll go that was just, you know, really mm. shocking or anything like that. But there's definitely been, yeah, regularly I'll watch a game back and just sort of go, oh you know, there's something I could have done better there. Or, yeah, sometimes you're just like, it's okay, but it's nothing special. It's not, I don't watch, certainly don't watch every game back, but there, you you do need to. Um, and, you, and you do that anyway in terms of your preparation at, at times. So, you know, re-watch a game, even if you've called the team the week before, it's worth just reminding yourself. Um, so you pick things up that you don't like. There's, you know, little words you're repeating or phrases you're repeating um you pick all those things up but yeah no there's there's definitely plenty of times where you think i could have done it better
2: i only asked because i listened to a podcast with um the the u.s basketball commentator mike breen not too long ago i don't know if you're that familiar with him or not but he said the one there's one call he made a year ago it was a playoff what, game. one of my calls you no. didn't <laughs> <like>. yeah, <laughs> <laughs> very <laughs>
1: critical actually it was re- it was a bit harsh I thought
2: just one of his uh, yeah just one of his own in a playoff game it was a buzzer beater and basically he botched the call and he said he basically lost sleep over it for two weeks and he's like he's yeah. an icon of sport so I just wonder how those things sit with you. obviously, you guys judge yourselves very harshly by the sounds of it.
3: yeah, no, no, I can absolutely appreciate that. I. I and you know what? It, when it happens early in a game is particularly when you get annoyed and it's it's something that it is one of the pieces of advice I give to to young callers or people in that, or I guess any performer. If you make a mistake early, you've just got to find a way to deal with it. So it's not so much in retrospect where it has an effect. I reckon it's more when it happens at the time. Um, and I've definitely, I've had, I've probably had more moments where it's like, I just didn't get, I didn't hit the storyline quite right at the time. I, you know, I've said I had one this year. Where I was just like, oh. um, I, you know, and it, sometimes it can happen where you, you yeah, particularly if it's a set shot or something, you're thinking, if he kicks this goal or whatever, yeah. oh, I could say this and then he doesn't. So you've kind of got nothing yeah. to say. Yeah, <laughs> that, right. that certainly happened to, happened to me a couple of times, but. Um, yeah, it, it, I think the, the bottom line usually is it's, it's it's not normally as bad as what you think. Yep. Um, normally when you make a mistake or you doesn't you don't quite nail it, you look back and go, oh, it wasn't quite as bad as what I thought. So you've got to kind of tell you, you've probably got to kid yourself about that um, because that's, that's probably where it has the biggest effect is is if you think you've made a mistake. And sometimes you call some, yeah, you know, the ones that happen most regularly is you might Get a player's name wrong, or take a bit longer to work out who's taken a a, a mark or whatever, and um, that's where it can, you know, that can that'll sit with you all day. If you, particularly if you call a player's name wrong and they and they do something good, and or maybe a fir, I think a couple of players' first goal in AFL footy, I feel like I haven't done them justice, and you think that's that's going to be their first goal forever, um, and I haven't probably called it as well. Um, And Tom Stewart actually reminded me the other day when I did something with Geelong that when he took his best mark of his career, my commentary line was, and that's the second best mark of the weekend. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Because Liam... Liam Ryan had taken the mark of the year the week before, and all I could say to him, well, was it was it factual? And he had to admit it was.
1: <laughs> oh, You know what? Hearing you talk there, Hutto, I think a lot of fans have probably uh, wish that maybe all the commentary um, teams in the AFL had the same level of professionalism and rigour that, <laughs> that you do and care about each individual moment. Um, there, there is, a, I think, a real sentiment that you are the favourite caller of so many footy fans. You go on social media, and if Hutto's doing the game, there's normally a lot of oh great we got huddo this week do you you sense that as a caller do you get a a sense of the i guess the high esteem you're held in by footy fans across the country
3: oh i don't know about that i certainly don't go looking for it on social media very often (laughs) because that's uh, i can show you not everyone's positive about it um and i think that can have an effect and again that's something like i'm not really on social media i mean I, i use it from a news sense uh from a news point of view but it can be something that is pretty demoralizing really quickly. And again, if you do make a mistake or don't call something well, uh, you certainly get reminded of it if you go looking for it. Um, Yeah, I think, I do think it's probably something that that, um, comes with longevity. Yeah. I guess if you're um, lucky enough to call the game for as long as I have, then you, uh, you become a voice that's familiar with the game and hopefully you're going to have some good moments that, that people like. I, I try and, you know, I try and call the game the best I can, and have the passion for the game that the fans do. Um, and but you just know that you do know that not everyone's going to like the way you do it, and that's just that's just the reality. So, um, you know, I'm I'm happy that if people like my call, and if they don't, well, there's, there's sort of not much I can do about it other than try and do the, the best job that I can. So, um, yeah, I'm happy that I'm, I'm still doing it, I suppose. So, um, that's 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 probably the best reflection that 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 some, at least of the fans, think it's okay.
1: Well, before we let you go, I want to ask you, I know this is putting you on the spot a little bit, but I want your favourite Lions player of all time that you've called and your favourite current Lion to call.
3: Okay, that is putting me on the spot.
2: Um, <laughs> We've got some thinking music playing. <laughs> yeah. It's okay. Well, I, I,
3: I think, I mean, it's hard to go past Michael Voss calling that first grand final I did for TV, 2002. Mm. Um, just i think i called him or a line around him being the terminator that day that uh, probably dates me as a commentator because <laughs> the, the movies were probably not that old at that stage but i just found he was so indestructible um and just you know and such an incredible leader um yeah you know, i loved blackie both as a player and a, and a, and a person He was always always wonderful i was there in the box, but not calling when Brownie took the mark, going back with the flight. So, mm, yeah. I mean, there were so many Brisbane Lions players that was were, were great to call during that that era. Obviously, um, I, I wasn't calling the moment when, uh, but quarters was Steve Quartermain with the with that with a, with, a, with Acker kicking mm. his goal. So, I haven't answered your question very well. I've just <laughs> I feel like a player reeling off reeling off all all his teammates <laughs> um,
0: <laughs> because he he wants to deflect. But yeah, I
3: mean, I think probably. I think probably Vossi and then, uh, who, you know, I got I went on to work with at Channel 10 and then, you know, Brownie obviously as well for the way he went about things and obviously I've got to know him really well over the years. So, um, yeah, I mean, the current players um, in terms of, I mean, I just have enormous admiration for Lockie. So he's probably the one that comes to mind, but, you know, Ashcroft's gonna be just gonna be such a super player, and um, you know, Joe, Joe is entertaining yeah. to call one way or the other <laughs> when when he's on. And and again, I've named about five, but probably probably Charlie Cameron, you know, the players that can that can create the excitement because that's what you want. You want the yeah. players that can create can create the excitement, get the crowd involved, and um, you know, and and kick a goal that's um going to have a little bit of magic associated with it. So so Charlie's pretty hard to beat as well.
1: And so, when you look back on your years of calling, Hutto, uh, where does Miracle on Grass rank for you as uh, as your, I guess, favourite or most memorable match you've called?
3: Um, I mean, I don't. Yeah, it's a good question. I, I don't. People sort of ask me for favourite commentary lines and that sort of thing, and I, I try not to, you know, rate. I haven't really put them in order or anything like that. But in terms of you know matches and comebacks, I don't. I don't. I, I did call the the. Essendon North Melbourne comeback, the Bombers' 69-point oh, wow. comeback, <laughs> um, and there's been a couple of others where I reckon they've been around about the same or or or, that, or what. But yeah, in terms of um, in terms of memorable comebacks, totally unexpected, and with the uh, the difference was Essendon got in front, and there was still probably mm. you know 10 minutes to go. Whereas the perfect one is where they hit the front at the end, and that and that was so that was the perfect one, and. Ash McGrath with the, the milestone and um and kicking it, you know, after the siren, and it's um yeah it's pre- it, it's always pretty special. So it's, it's certainly right up there for, for matches and for drama. And, and as I said, that you know that there was a few few games at the gabber. I think I used the, the line of somewhere I don't know if it was in that game or another about pandemonium at the gabber. Yes, yep. So I said, yeah, it, it really it it did it did feel that way. Is just it's yeah. You know, I think the Borrow Dennis's line from. Karen Perkins, the best uh, The best moments in sport are the unexpected ones, and that was certainly that.
1: Yeah, I think that was James Polkinghorne's talk in 2012, the yep. comeback against West Coast, the first right. pandemonium at the That's Gabba. Right. Yep. And then you brilliantly yep. had a bit of a callback with, in Miracle on Grass with the pandemonium returns, which yeah. I thought linked <laughs> the two right. games okay. um, absolutely beautifully. Well, Hud, I feel like on behalf of all Lions fans, we've got to thank you for... Uh, giving us this incredible soundtrack to one of the great moments um, that we've all seen. So thank you so much for, for coming up with Miracle on Grass that day. It's made the day even more <laughs> iconic. And, uh, and we can't wait to hear your radio call of, uh, of the Lions winning the flag later this year.
3: <laughs> yes. Well, you never know. They're right in the mix for it, that's for sure. And uh, it'll be great to see Fags and the, and the team uh, win a Premiership as long as they're not playing against
1: Geelong. <laughs> thank you so much, Hutto.
0: Thanks,
1: boys. Well, we move from the man who commentated the famous moment, Mike, in Anthony Hudson, uh, through to the man of the moment itself, Ash McGrath, joins us now on the podcast. Thank you so much for making time, Ash. I feel like I have to say happy 10 years.
4: <laughs> yeah, thanks for having me. 10 years, yeah. Uh, yeah it's going quick. So, um, you know, every year, a prison page long, and it seems to get brought up, so yeah. Uh, yeah, it makes it makes the time um, go fast, but it feels like it's been uh, felt like it was only a couple of years ago. So,
1: we just uh, have been speaking with uh, Anthony Hudson from Fox Footy. He told us the story of how he came up with the Miracle on Grass. He'd been watching the Miracle on Ice the night before and thought, I should use Miracle on Grass one day. The very next day, yeah. he commentates your moment. Have you ever had a chance to chat to Hutto uh, about his call of, of the famous moment?
4: No, I haven't. Um, I, I'm sure I'd like to, at some stage, um, uh, have a chat to him. But yeah, it was a perfect call for a perfect moment. So he, he called it well. And yeah, it's uh, it's, it, it's in Brisbane Lions history.
2: Not sure what you remember 10 years on, Ash, but can you recall anything from earlier in the day? It was obviously a milestone game. It was your 200th. You'd had a few milestone yep. games prior to that. but. Were those games any different to you? Any more special? Who was at the ground? Can you tell us a little bit about the day from your recollections?
4: Yeah, so um, I have a family all fly over um, to come over for the, for the special game, but um, I was a little bit hesitant going into it because every milestone game I seemed to play, um, we didn't play well. So, um, <laughs> especially when you come up against the Geelong team, um, they were a bit of a force back then. So, and they still are. So, um, you know, I wasn't, I wasn't holding out oh, you know, you can't go in the game thinking you're going to lose. But, you know, I was, I was hoping I played well, but, yeah, I was also, I was realistic going up against Geelong. So, uh, it, was a, it was a special day. I think the, the day before I, I took my brothers, hang on, mate. Um took the, took the brothers out to play golf and it rained all day. So, um, yeah, so it was a Sunday and, yeah, it was, a, it was a bit of a strange game, but, yeah, the result was, was uh, fitting for an occasion.
1: Now I reckon most Lions fans have watched, particularly that last playback, probably the the last quarter itself, maybe a couple of hundred times now. How many times do you think you've watched it back over the decade?
4: Uh, not not too many, mate. Um, my, my my son Chase, he he loves watching it. Um, well, it's been a bit of a a blessing and a curse. Um, you know, I'm, I'm known as a, as a miracle on grass man, but. Um, when you're out having dinner or out, out in the shops, um, everyone comes up and you know you get some good good people that in, really enjoy the game. But I reckon probably eighty percent of the people have come up to me and said I oh, stuff their multis. So um, <laughs> it's, it's been, <laughs> that's why I say it's been a, a, a blessing and a curse at the same time. It's
2: a blessing for you though, and a curse for them.
4: Yeah, that
2: that's
1: a, <laughs> that shows how much of a problem gambling culture's become in Australia. <laughs> that an iconic moment is known for messing multis up. That's awful.
4: Oh, yeah, so I said, mate, you should have picked this. Um, you know, like <laughs> know, Sunday, Sunday, Arvo coming up to the Gabba. Um, you know, it, it, just, it was our home deck and our conditions. And yeah, the way it panned out, you couldn't script it any better.
2: Obviously, the game was going Geelong's way, leading by in excess of eight goals late in the third quarter. What, what do you remember about the wheel turning and the, the comeback starting to happen?
4: Yeah, well, they were up and about uh, for pretty much three quarters. And I remember, I think we kicked the last two or three um, going three-quarter time. And I remember Vossi, he actually said, like, we're in this. And, you know, being an older player, I was like, mate, we're 52 points down. (laughs)
0: Uh,
4: Probably trying to keep it up, but I I was looking and going, gee, I, I, I don't think we are in it. But, you know, stranger things have happened and he just kept saying to us, you know, believe in you know, our process and our game plan and he kept reminding us that, you know, this is our home deck um, and, you know, the weather, the humidity and we got a little bit greasy and we train in that weather. So um, it's funny that when I spoke to all the family and friends that came across, I actually stopped watching the game. They were in a box so they were actually uh, tucking everything that comes with sitting in a box and <laughs> Yeah, it's, it, it was just amazing that, you know, bloke uh, Brett Maloney turned it on the last quarter. Yeah. Simon Black really played well. And, you know, once we got two or three goals and it rolled into four goals, um, I thought, you know, Vossie might be onto something here. And um, I, think, uh, I think Stevie J might have kicked one to stop the mm. momentum and then um yeah i thought maybe that might be it but yeah the boys uh the boys piled on a few more and once we got the gabba crowd behind us i actually started to think yeah we're a chance here and yeah the rest is history
1: we have just been going through the, the goals, uh, the moments goal by goal from the game. We did about 40 minutes. Yeah. I think Ash just going in depth about every yeah. single moment that led up to, to the key, uh, the key moment at the end. Can you take us into any memories you have about what went through your mind once you'd taken the mark? Because you have about 30 seconds between that moment and the moment of truth. Do you have any recollection of what was rolling through your mind at that point?
4: Well, when I took the mark, uh, I actually cramped up in my left leg, in the left calf, so I was like, well, here we go. But I just remember Dane Zorko and and Brett Maloney and Ryan Harwood just coming up and saying, please kick this goal. <laughs> uh, and uh, you know, we can probably say it now. We're all going to go out for a few quiet drinks afterwards, and Ryan Harwood actually said to me, he goes, mate, how good are the beers going to taste if you put this through? So <laughs> uh, just put but you know everyone asked what was i thinking but i just went back and went through my the process of my goal kicking routine um i knew if i knew i had a distance in me but if i just went through and because uh, i remember uh, it would have been a couple years beforehand i was we played long up at the gabber and Stephen Motlot uh came up to me i was having a set shot and called me turtle guts um and <laughs> i still remember that because i've watched uh, i've watched that game and you can actually see me walk in with a bit of a smirk on my face he actually he actually put me off so um if you watch Stephen mollo he actually sprints over and stands there and I, I was pretty much blocked him out and he was he was calling me turtle guts again and <laughs> um yeah, I, if I just went through my routine and and hit it it, it, would, it would make the distance so and i always tell people it didn't come off come off pretty it was it was tracking for the right hand goal post and actually tracking to go through for a point but uh, with about I don't know about ten meters, twenty metres ago, it actually started to curve and uh, just snuck through, which is great. Now your
2: my memories of you as a player actually you're a pretty calm customer, pretty cool. Not not much seemed to phase you. T- t- tell us about the excitement that went through your body when you realised that you kicked it.
4: Oh, yeah, it's a bit of a blur. Um, you know, uh, it was a it was a special day because um Going into Christmas um, of 2012, my, my dad passed away suddenly um, a couple of days, ago, about a week or so before my wedding. So mm. um, when it went through, um, I kind of pointed to the sky and um, yeah, I, I was. Cliffy probably pushed the ball through, to be honest. <laughs> I always say that. But um, yeah, it's hard to kind of remember what, what was going mm. through in my head. It was just one of those moments that. Um, happened so quickly but it was just uh, the relief that it went through and the excitement of you know finishing off the uh, good work from the boys in the fourth quarter
1: we have been chatting on the the podcast a little bit ash about how you you weren't the biggest lover of doing media when you were in your playing days and how actually you, you sort of resisted doing media particularly the next day at the south bank recovery you didn't want to front the media i mean you've had one of the most iconic moments in the game's history and you don't want to do the press conference talk us through that
4: Oh mate, like I said, we we were going to have uh, we were going to go out for a few quiet drinks because um, it was also Blackie' uh, game breaking record the week before, so it was a bit of a celebration of both me and Blackie. So, um, had a mate organise a, a bit of a function at the Story Bridge, and um, yeah, it might have got out a little bit of out of out of hand, so I was probably not <laughs> not to the, uh, <laughs> well. That answers Bet a decade
1: old mystery about that why you didn't want to do media yeah. the next morning. <laughs>
4: Oh, no, it's funny because um, the, the, I always talk about the miracle on grass, but what happened at the Story Bridge when I first walked in, I I chucked $20 in the pokies and um, ended up walking out, pulling out
0: 1300
4: So uh, Wow. Uh, it was special night. So, yeah, wow, but, um, what a day in your life. <laughs> yeah, Brett Maloney did me a solid. He seen uh, me in the car park and I said, I can't front the media. I said, I said you're going to have to do it. So I just walked quietly walked through and, uh, be- uh, big beamer took the- took the reins for me.
2: Great memory, Ash, because I remember it distinctly being <laughs> Brent Maloney that stepped up and did it.
4: <laughs> yeah, I was like, yeah, he's. I said, mate, you might have to take this one for me, mate, and uh, make sure you do a good job
1: yeah that's amazing uh well another part of the the game i wanted to ask you about was the fact that your former teammate chris scott was the the coach of the cats and there's those shots of him looking furious on the boundary line as it gets closer and closer have you and chris ever had a conversation about that that moment
4: no not yet um maybe uh this year if we Hmm. geelong don't make the grand final we might uh be able to have a bit of a chat about it at at the 03 20 year reunion that we have in melbourne so um yeah, I might have to might have to have a yarn to him because I've seen the vision too. He wasn't too happy. Um, it was just lucky enough that uh, Dane, Dane Zorko, I actually said to him at three-quarter time, is there any chance you can lower my eyes because uh, I think it was Josh Hunt was playing. I mean, he was actually going back towards goals and I was able to tickle it a few times and he, and he missed me in the third quarter. And um, Yeah, for once he lowered his eyes and was able to hit me on, on top of the 50, which was good.
2: Isn't that perfect? That's a great recollection of that yeah. because um- – yeah, it was Zorko obviously that got the handball from Jed Adcock and, and hit you up on that short lead. It must be, um, just to slightly change track here a bit, Ash, the, the 03 reunion, you've mentioned it there, it's a few months away I know, but um, you must be looking forward to that.
4: Yeah, I think the club might be organising one um, before us players organise one, so uh, um, I think from what I've heard they might have one on the weekend of the buy round between um, the end of the season and the finals, so it's always going to be tough trying to, to get all the boys together with so many boys uh, coaching at mm. the moment. So, you know, Martin Pike and, and a few boys were the leaders last year and getting the boys all together at the Royal Derby in um, in Fitzroy. Mm. Um, so, yeah, Pike will um, hopefully get a few texts from him soon to say the boys are going to do it again, which is last year was a real good day because most of the O two 2 boys and a few of us O three 3 boys flew across for it. So... Um, yeah, it's just a special moment, um, to, uh, to get the group back together and reminisce on, on the stories of the, of the past.
1: You have just been a bit involved with this year's group, obviously, uh, alongside Des Hedland designing this year's Indigenous Guernsey. And, and we did see that you were in town briefly. Uh, do, do you reckon this group's got what it takes, um, to do what you did 20 years ago with that O three 3 group? Are you tipping the Lions for, for the flag this year?
4: Yeah, I reckon they can go a long way into the finals if not take it out, um, you know, obviously Collingwood's a, the form side to beat at the moment, but we've got a pretty good track record. I think they've only beat us, what, I think, three times in the last 15 games. So, um, yeah, so if we can we can hit the back end of the season, uh, one thing with footy teams, you need to have a good spine, and I think um, the Lions have got a good spine. You look back at the Premiership era, we had a real good spine, and then you had players around. So I think um, getting Dunkley into the side really adds to... The midfield and let's um he's got a real good defensive game so but let's blokes like blocky neal and and the other boys in they go to work and um a bit, he reminds me a bit like sean hart um you know hardy's job was to uh whenever Vossy's player took off hardy had to take off and cover his man and let Vossy and blacky uh do the work going forward because that's what we wanted sounds
2: like you still watch pretty closely ash you, you still watch a fair bit of footy
4: I don't watch too much, mate. I, I watch, the, watch the Lions games. So, yep. uh, man, you follow Chase, sit down and watch it. He, he decks himself out in the beanie, hoodie, and flags. And so um, I, I try and watch the game, but he's too busy waving flags or stuff <laughs> like that. So, um, yeah, so hopefully they do go a long way into the finals because I remember last year uh, when they got knocked out, I had to console him for about an hour to try and say, mate, there's always next year, mate. We'll, we'll get there at some stage.
1: Uh, I want to ask you, Ash, about uh, part of your career that I remember a bit. Is that there'd be a couple of seasons when you were maybe coming off contract and you were linked heavily to a return to WA? How close did you come to to heading back home to WA to play the last few years of your, your career?
4: Yeah, I think the last time I, I was really close was uh, 07. Um, yeah, you know, I just I was just a bit flat in Brisbane, and um, yeah, the the, the old pull home was was quite strong um but it wasn't until i actually went on the off season went home and um you know my brothers actually said there's nothing much back here for you mate like everyone's working all your friends you know work work nine to five monday to friday and you know i I actually sat back and you know you'd only hang out with your mates friday to sunday and then i'd sit there and do my own thing for a bit so and then i then i i actually cut my my holidays short in seven and came back came back to brisbane and you know i just just sat back and said you know i wanted to become a one club player and get my name on a locker and all that kind of stuff so um i'm glad i did it um and it got to the end of my career and you know when i finished up with the lions I, i i thought you know maybe i've got one or two years left and i thought about do i have a look at the gold coast suns or another footy team but you know the to be a one-club player, and I love Brisbane so much I couldn't see myself going anywhere else. And you did have so many highlights
1: in the, uh, the Brisbane jumper. I'm curious, if we asked you, obviously the Miracle on Grass has to be your number one highlight. Is number two the, the goal uh, against the Swans from about 80, 90 metres out, or, or what would you say your second highlight is, number two on the list of your career? Uh,
4: I reckon the Miracle on Grass one's number two. Okay. Um, yep. that, that, that Sydney goal um, in the prelim um is probably my favorite memory of my career um you know in know three you know I, I was out of the side i think it was around you know, 20 or 21 and i came back in Craven and pray got injured and i kicked six against uh, the bulldogs in the final round and that kind of um showed lee that maybe i can be a forward um going to the finals and um that game uh, the prelim, you know, I think a few people might have thought we were done at that stage and I think Sydney were kinda they had a bit of a, a run on momentum going and yeah, it was just one of those ones where yeah, I smothered the ball and and if I, I look back on it now, um if you watch behind the goals vision, uh Alistair Lynch was standing about fifty metres out all by himself and I've just slammed it on the boot and I thought, geez <laughs> I've missed one here and chase it. And yeah, when I seen the ball roll, roll, roll and just finally finish up thirty centimetres over as it was excitement that the ball went in but relief as well because uh you know, I, I, missing that missing that play, Lynchy, um I was half expecting you know, the runner to come out if I hadn't gone through to say, Ash, come sit on the bench, mate. Yeah. So <laughs> I
1: uh we did have your old coach lee matthews on the podcast uh, at the start of the year and and we like to ask anyone who's involved in that premiership team um this question you got a bunch of you guys are, are coaching obviously the scott brothers are senior coaches voss is coaching craig McRae's coaching uh Leper has coached if we asked you for one more name from that premiership group who you think will uh go on to be an afl senior coach one day or is the most likely to who, who would your inkling be
4: um, I, I think someone like a Leakey power, or even um, he probably wouldn't want to do it. Is Nigel Lappin. Um He sees the game really well. Um, I know Blake Carassalo is only on the team for a short time, but you know he's doing really well in the coaching ranks as well. So, the one thing with Lee he was a great leader of men. Um, and you know, I look back now, and he shaped the person I am today with all, all the uh, characteristics that I hold dear. And you know, Lee was the one that pumped that into me as long as well as my family. So. Yeah, Lee, I, you know, you take it for granted when you're playing that you're being coached by Lee Matthews. Um, you know, he it can be scary and and, he, and he, he's a great bloke. But I look back now and I shake my head thinking, you know, one that I played in the champion team and the players that I got to play with, but also I was coached by the greatest ever footy player and, and footy coach.
1: Well, Ash, thank you so much for making time for this. And more importantly than that, I think on behalf of all Lions fans, I have to just say thank you for for giving us one of quite genuinely the happiest moments probably of my life that that Miracle <laughs> on Grass Day. The amount of joy we've got out of that that day and in the years that follow, it, it's just footy at its absolute best. And the fact you're able to to line up and put that goal through uh, a decade ago, I think it's brought more joy than you could even begin to imagine to to so many. Um, so thank you so much, Ash. I guess for uh, for kicking straight.
4: <laughs> <laughs> and I apologise for the. People on Facebook, that have to see it all the time when they come up against Geelong, all the to hate me. But uh, it was actually funny when the last week or the week before, um, they actually got me to reenact it. I think it's going to be posted um, when, when it's the uh, 10 years. So um, I actually said we might have to go 30 out for me to make it. And I said, no, go for it. It's funny, they actually took about four or five balls out because uh, your curators and the groundsmen were like, hurry up. And, yeah, first kick. Straight through, so it was actually a good one. How good. Oh, brilliant.
1: There we go. Well, maybe you could be uh, brought onto the list late and be the sub in a grand yeah. final, Ash. We get you to do it again in a grand uh, final.
4: Uh, the body doesn't hold up to it, mate. I've been in good paddocks. Yeah.
1: <laughs> well, thank you so much, Ash. Thanks, Ash. Uh, so so grateful for you making time to chat with us.
4: No, nah, thanks for having me, guys. And
1: as Ash McGrath does jump out of the other uh, Zoom chat there, Mike, what a wonderful stroll down memory lane this has been today uh, to get to chat to Ash, to get to chat to Hutto, to get to reflect on that me- uh, that moment a decade ago. It, uh, it feels like we've been there all over again. I feel like I'm back in 2013.
2: How good. A couple of little nuggets in there that we hadn't yes. heard before, for sure. So yeah. uh, I loved hearing Ash's recollection of it because mm. as we've discussed, he's he not the he's a little bit shy when it came to media and his playing days, so great to actually get his recollections on it. Now, I think sometimes the more removed you are from an event or an incident, the more open you are to talking about it sometimes for, yeah, for so many different reasons, so great that he could share all those little nuggets with us today.
1: And you finally have an answer as to why he snubbed you at yeah. the press conference <laughs> the next morning back in 2013. Oh,
2: I reckon convenient that for Ash, convenient. <laughs> <laughs>
1: uh, well, look, a couple of quick things before we get out of here uh, for the day, podcast will be back as normal next week to review the Hawks game and uh, and look ahead to the Swans Friday night blockbuster. Uh, obviously, no, Dane Zorko, his appeal uh, at the tribunal was unsuccessful, Mike. So if I put you on the spot now, who's in for, for Zork for the Hawks game?
2: Mate, who do I say every week, Dom? <laughs> who Robertson. do I say every week, Dev <laughs> Robertson? <laughs>
1: You'd think it'll have to be Dev. Kai Lohman maybe an outside Kai chance. maybe. Yep. but but twenty one tackles from from Dev in the most recent VFL game would have to get him in, uh, you would think. So uh we'll stay tuned for that. That's about as much Hawks preview as we're gonna give yeah, you because <laughs> there's not a lot more to say on that particular one. Um but when we come back next week we'll review it and then look ahead to, to what could be a higher stakes Swans game than maybe hmm. anticipated a few weeks ago. They're looking a little bit better now and back on track, uh the Swans. So
2: Certainly. And also t- Brisbane obviously losing to Adelaide. You want to be really top four ideally top two ideally is what what you want you got the potential to go home home grand final so in the final so Mm. you're trying to push up the ladder and Brisbane now a game behind Port Adelaide in second so every game particularly those home games they're critical to win
1: and it's the Swans' first time back at the Gabba since the 2021 season opener, I think, yeah. isn't it? So yep. Uh, yep. first, last time they came to the Gabba, it obviously ended very uh, disappointingly for Lions fans. So hopefully things can uh, turn around there. Uh, also, tickets have been released now for our Raw Deal Live event that's taking place for Round 23, the Friday night game against Collingwood uh, at uh, the Copacabana Club in Uh It's going to be an amazing night. Uh, I think we are, we're past half sold. I don't know cool. how much further on that front we are, but we sold a bunch of them. So thanks to those who have told us you are coming along to that. Uh, if you go to my Twitter, at Dom you can get tickets. But if, you, if you're a Lions fan, you're a raw deal listener, and you'd love to come and have some great food, some great drinks, and watch the game with us, we'd love to see you there bring a partner, bring your family, bring your kids. It'll be on the big screen, Mike. We're going to have a heap of fun.
2: Don't forget the great chat from us too, Dom. Well, of course. That's obviously, <laughs> obviously, that goes without saying, right? <laughs> that's it. And
1: we keep saying this, there's the possibility of a special guest. We can't confirm that, but as we get closer, we'll ask some questions. We'll, we'll
2: work on it as we get a bit closer.
1: Someone yeah. did message me asking if we could bring the Raw Deal medal along on the night. I mean, you're looking at it now, Mike. It is, it is. just you're right. You reckon we, we could bring the Raw we Deal could, medal? We
2: could take it along.
1: And maybe the Raw Deal cheese board, the, the one of those that we're going to be giving away, perhaps you could win that and yep. other things as well so uh, head to that link get your tickets now before they do sell out for that night uh that is all we got time for on the podcast this week we will be back next week to review the hawks game mike and uh, look ahead to a friday night blockbuster against the swans at the Gabba. we've just had state of origin in the nrl this is state of origin afl theme the original two uh queensland and new south wales teams up against each other uh we'll catch you then on the raw deal uh have a great bye weekend we'll see you soon